Chapter Twelve of Peter Simple. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. B. in Washington State. Peter Simple by Frederick Marriott. Chapter Twelve. New theory of Mr. Muddle, remarkable for having no end to it. Novel practice of Mr. Chucks. O'Brien commences his history. I bring up the master's night-glass. As I have already mentioned sufficient of the captain and the first lieutenant to enable the reader to gain an insight into their characters, I shall now mention two very odd personages who were my shipmates, the carpenter and the boatswain. The carpenter, whose name was Muddle, used to go by the appellation of Philosopher Chips, not that he followed any particular school, but had formed a theory of his own from which he was not to be dissuaded. This was that the universe had its cycle of events which turned round, so that in a certain period of time everything was to happen over again. I never could make him explain upon what data his calculations were founded. He said that if he explained it, I was too young to comprehend it. But the fact was this, that in 27,672 years everything that was going on now would be going on again, with the same people as were existing at this present time. He very seldom ventured to make the remark to Captain Savage, but to the first lieutenant he did very often. "'I've been as close to it as possible, sir, I do assure you, although you find fault. But twenty-seven thousand six hundred seventy-two years ago you were first lieutenant of this ship, and I was carpenter, although we recollect nothing about it. In twenty-seven thousand six hundred seventy-two years hence we shall both be standing by this boat, talking about the repairs, as we are now.' "'I do not doubt it, Mr. Muffle.' replied the first lieutenant i dare say that it all is very true but the repairs must be finished this night and twenty-seven thousand six hundred and seventy-two years hence you will have the order just as positive as you have it now so let it be done but the boatswain was a more amusing personage he was considered to be the toughest that is the most active and severe boatswain in the service he went by the name of gentleman chucks the latter was his surname he appeared to have received half an education sometimes his language was for a few sentences remarkably well chosen but all of a sudden he would break down at a hard word but i shall be able to let the reader into more of his history as i go on with my adventures he had a very handsome person inclined to be stout keen eyes and hair curling in ringlets he held his head up and strutted as he walked he declared that an officer should look like an officer and comport himself accordingly in his person he was very clean wore rings on his great fingers and a large frill to his bosom which stuck out like the back fin of a perch and the collar of his shirt was always pulled up to a level with his cheekbones he never appeared on deck without his persuader which was three rattans twisted into one like a cable sometimes he called it his order of the bath or his trio juncto in uno and this persuader was seldom idle he attempted to be very polite even when addressing the common seamen and certainly he always commenced his observations to them in a very gracious manner but as he continued he became less choice in his phraseology as a specimen of them he would say to the man on the forecastle allow me to observe my dear man in the most delicate way in the world that you are spilling that tar upon the deck a deck sir if i may venture to make the observation i had the duty of seeing hollystone this morning you understand me sir you have defiled his majesty's forecastle i must do my duty sir if you neglect yours so take that and that and that thrashing the man with his rattan 
you damned haymaking son of a sea cook do it again damn your eyes and i'll cut your liver out the master was the officer who had charge of the watch to which i was stationed he was a very rough sailor who had been brought up in the merchant service not much of a gentleman in his appearance very good-tempered and very fond of grog he always quarrelled with the boatswain and declared that the service was going to the devil now that warrant officers put on white shirts and wore frills to them but the boatswain did not care for him he knew his duty he did his duty and if the captain was satisfied he said that the whole ship's company might grumble the master was very kind to me and used to send me down to my hammock before my watch was half over until that time i walked the deck with o'brien who is a very pleasant companion and taught me everything that he could connected with my profession one night when he had the middle watch i told him i should like very much if he would give me the history of his life that i will my honey replied he all that i can remember of it though i have no doubt but that i've forgotten the best part of it it's now within five minutes of two bells so we'll heave the log and mark the board and then i'll spin you a yarn which will keep us both from going to sleep o'brien reported the rate of sailing to the master marked it down on the logboard and then returned so now my boy i'll come to an anchor on the topsail halyard rack and you may squeeze your thread-paper little carcass under my lee and then i'll tell you all about it first and foremost you must know that i am descended from the great o'brien boru who was a king in his time but that time's past i suppose as the world turns round my children's children's posterity may be kings again although there seems but little chance of it just now but there's ups and downs on a grand scale as well as in a man's own history and the wheel of fortune keeps turning for the comfort of those who are at the lowest spoke as i may be just now to cut the story a little shorter i skipped down to my great-grandfather who lived like a real gentleman as he was upon his ten thousand a year at last he died and eight thousand of the ten was buried with him my grandfather followed his father all in good course of time and only left me father about one hundred acres of bog to keep up the dignity of the family i am the youngest of ten and devil a copper have i but my pay or am i likely to have you may talk about descent but a more descendant family than mine was never in existence for here i am with twenty-five pounds a year and a half pay of nothing a day and find myself when my great ancestor did just what he pleased with all ireland and everybody in it father mcgrath the priest who lived with my father taught me the elements as they call them i thought i had enough of the elements then but i've seen a deal more of them since terence says my father to me one day what do you mean to do to get my dinner sure replied i for i was not a little hungry and so you shall to-day my vorneen replied my father but in future you must do something to get your own dinner there's not pretty easy now for the whole of you will you go to the say i'll just step down and look at it says i for we lived but sixteen irish miles from the coast so when i had finished my meal which did not take long for want of ammunition i trotted down to the cove to see what a ship might be like and i happened upon a large one sure enough for there lay a three-decker with an admiral's flag at the fore maybe you'll be so civil as to tell me what ship that is said i to a sailor on the pier it's the queen charlotte replied he of one hundred and twenty guns now when i looked at her size and compared her with all the little smacks and hoys lying about her they very naturally asked how old she was he replied that she was no more than three years old but three years old thought i to myself it's a fine vessel to be when you come of age if you grow at that rate you'll be as tall as the top of bencrow thus a mountain we have in the art parts 
I went back to my father and told him all I had seen, and he replied that if I liked it, I might be a midshipman on board of her, with nine hundred men under my command. He forgot to say how many I should have over me, but I found that out afterwards. I agreed, and my father ordered his pony and went to the Lord Lieutenant, for he had interest enough for that. The Lord Lieutenant spoke to the Admiral, who was staying at the palace, and I was ordered on board as a midshipman. My father fitted me out pretty handsomely, telling all the tradesmen that their bills should be paid with my first prize money, and thus, by promises and blarney, he got credit for all I wanted. At last all was ready. Father McGrath gave me his blessing, and told me that if I died like an O'Brien, he would say a power of passes for the good of my soul. So after a deal of bother I was fairly on board, and I parted company with my chest, for I stayed on deck, and that went down below. I stared about with all my eyes for some time, when who should be coming off but the captain, and the officers were ordered on deck to receive him. I wanted to have a quiet survey of him, so I took up my station on one of the guns, that I might examine him at my leisure. The boatswain whistled, the marines presented arms, and the officers all took off their hats as the captain came on deck and then the guard was dismissed, and they all walked about the deck as before. But I found it very pleasant to be astride on the gun, so I remained where I was. "'What do you mean by that, you big young scoundrel?' says he, when he saw me. "'It's nothing at all I mean,' replied I. "'But what do you mean by calling O'Brien a scoundrel?' "'Who is he?' said the captain to the first lieutenant. "'Mr. O'Brien, who joined the ship about an hour since. "'Don't you know better than to sit upon a gun?' said the captain. To be sure I do, replied I, when there's anything better to sit upon. He knows no better, sir, observed the first lieutenant. Then he must be taught, replied the captain. Mr. O'Brien, since you have perched yourself on that gun to please yourself, you will now continue there for two hours to please me. Do you understand, sir? You'll ride on that gun for two hours. I understand, sir, replied I, but I'm afraid that he won't move without spurs, although there's plenty of metal in him. The captain turned away and laughed as he went into his cabin, and all the officers laughed, and I laughed too, for I perceived no great hardship in sitting down an hour or two, any more than I do now. Well, I soon found that, like a young bear, all my troubles were to come. I got into a scrape just before we left harbour. It was my watch when they piped to dinner, and I took the liberty to run below as my messmates had a knack of forgetting absent friends. Well, the captain came on board, and there was no side boys, no side ropes, and no officers to receive him. He came on deck foaming with rage, for his dignity was hurt, and he inquired who was the midshipman of the watch. Mr. O'Brien, said they all. Devil a bit, replied I. It was my forenoon watch. Who relieved you, sir? said the first lieutenant. Devil a soul, sir, replied I, for they were all too busy with their pork and beef. Then why did you leave the deck without relief? Because, sir... My stomach would have had but little relief if I had remained. Captain, who stood by, said, Do you see those cross-trees, sir? Is it those little bits of wood that you mine? On the top there, Captain? Yes, sir. Now just go up there and stay until I call you down. You must be brought up to your senses, young man, or you'll have but little prospect in the service. I've an idea that I have plenty of prospect when I get up there, replied I. But it's all to please you. So up I went as I have many a time since, and as you often will, Peter, just to enjoy the fresh air and your own pleasant thoughts, all at one and the same time. The first time that I put my foot on shore was at Menorca. Several of us went on shore, 
and having dined upon a roast turkey stuffed with plum pudding and having drunk as much wine as would float a jolly boat we ordered donkeys to take a little equestrian exercise some went off tail on end some with their hind quarters uppermost and then the riders went off instead of the donkeys some wouldn't go off at all as for mine he would go and where the devil do you think he went why into the church where all the people were at mass poor brute was dying with thirst and smelt water as soon as he was in notwithstanding all my tugging and hauling he ran his nose into the holy water font and drank it all up they rose up from their knees and seized me calling upon all the saints in the calendar although i knew what they meant not a word of their lingo could i speak to plead for my life and i was almost torn to pieces before the priest came up perceiving the danger i was in i wiped my finger across the wet nose of the donkey crossed myself and then went down to my knees to the priests crying out culpa mia as all good catholics do though twas no fault of mine as i said before for i tried all i could and tugged at the brute till my strength was gone the priest perceived by the manner in which i crossed myself that i was a good catholic and guessed that it was all a mistake of the donkeys they ordered the crowd to be quiet and sent for an interpreter when i explained the whole story they gave me absolution for what the donkey had done and after that as it was very rare to meet an english officer who was a good christian i was in great favour during my stay at minorca and was living in plenty paying for nothing and as happy as a cricket so the jackass proved a very good friend and to reward him i hired him every day and galloped him all over the island but at last it occurred to me that i had broken my leave for i was so happy on shore that i quite forgot that i had only permission for twenty-four hours and i should not have remembered it so soon had it not been for a party of marines headed by a sergeant who took me by the collar and dragged me off my donkey i was taken on board and put under an arrest for my misconduct sail on the starboard bow cried the lookout man very well replied the master mr o'brien where's mr o'brien is it me you mind sir said o'brien walking up to the master for he had sat down so long in the topsail halyard rack that he was wedged in and could not get out immediately yes sir go forward and see what that vessel is aye aye sir said o'brien and mr simple continued the master go down and bring me up my night-glass yes sir replied i i had no idea of a night-glass and as i observed that about this time his servant brought him up a glass of grog i thought it very lucky that i knew what he meant take care that you don't break it mr simple oh then i'm all right thought i he means a tumbler so down i went called up the gun-room steward and desired him to give me a glass of grog for mr dole the steward tumbled out in his shirt mixed the grog and gave it to me and i carried it up very carefully to the quarter-deck during my absence the master had called the captain and in pursuance of his orders o'brien had called the first lieutenant and when i came up the ladder they were both on deck as i was ascending i heard the master say i have sent young simple down for my night-glass but he is so long that i suppose he has made some mistake he's but half a fool that i deny replied mr falcon the first lieutenant just as i put my foot on the quarter-deck he's no fool perhaps not replied the master oh here he is what made you so long mr simple where is my night-glass here it is sir replied i handing him the tumbler of grog i told the steward to make it stiff the captain and the first lieutenant burst into a laugh for mr doble was known to be very fond of grog the former walked aft to conceal his mirth but the latter remained mr doble was in a great rage did i not say that the boy was half a fool cried he to the first lieutenant 
at all events i'll not allow that he has proved himself so in this instance replied mr falcon for he has hit the right nail on the head then the first lieutenant joined the captain and they both went off laughing put it on the capstan sir said mr doble to me in an angry voice i'll punish you by and by i was very much astonished i hardly knew whether i had done right or wrong at all events thought i to myself i did for the best so i put it on the capstan and walked to my own side of the deck the captain and first lieutenant then went below and o'brien came aft i told him what had occurred and how the master was angry with me o'brien laughed very heartily and told me to never mind but to keep in the lee scuppers and watch him a glass of grog is a bait that he'll play round till he gorges when you see it to his lips go up to him boldly and ask his pardon if you have offended him and then if he's a good christian as i believe him to be he'll not refuse it i thought this was very good advice and i waited under the bulwark on the lee side i observed that the master made shorter and shorter turns every time till at last he stopped at the capstan and looked at the grog he waited about half a minute and then he took up the tumbler and drank about half of it it was very strong and he stopped to take breath i thought that this was the right time and i went up to him the tumbler was again to his lips and before he saw me i said i hope sir you'll forgive me i never heard of a night telescope and knowing that you had walked so long i thought you were tired and wanted something to drink to refresh you well mr Shimple, said he after he had finished the glass with a deep sigh of pleasure as you meant kindly i shall let you off this time but recollect that whenever you bring me a glass of grog again it must not be in the presence of the captain or first lieutenant at last our watch was over and about two bells i was relieved by the midshipman of the next watch it is very unfair not to relieve in time but if i said a word i was certain to be thrashed the next day upon some pretence or another on the other hand the midshipman whom i relieved was also much bigger than i was and if i was not up before one bell i was cut down and thrashed by him so that between the two i kept much more than my share of the watch except when the master sent me to bed before it was over End of chapter 12